Can you guys hear me okay? Um, well, that kind of makes me feel old. The older Casey gets, the older I get. What's with that, right? Yeah, I have known her for many, many, many years. So um, about a month ago, Jamie asked me about speaking today. And uh, I actually thought, well, this is a good time. This is a good time to speak and and to share a little bit maybe what's on my heart. I didn't know what that was at the time, but... Um, as I as I thought about that, as I want to do, I you know I, I speak maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, on occasion. It's it's uh, something I get pretty nervous about actually, but uh, I'm going to try to do my best today. And uh, before they left, I, they, Heidi asked me. She goes, "Well, what are you going to speak on?" And I said, "Well, you know what I really want to speak on is I really want to speak on ordinary time because." I hear, I've heard Heidi talk about it. We've talked a lot in the last several years about uh, rhythms that we hold to in this church. And a lot of them have like a, a Catholic root to them. And how many of you like were raised Catholic or feel like they know a lot about the Catholic church? There's a few of you in here. I was not. I was raised in a congregational church that um i don't they i don't know that they had a lot of rhythm so it's kind of a new concept a little bit for me this idea of the liturgical year and um over the last several years you know we've celebrated advent leading into christmas time and we've celebrated lent leading into easter and then earlier this year, Jamie and Heidi spoke on Epiphany, which is also part of the church calendar, and what Epiphany meant and that type of thing. So anyways, I kept hearing this about ordinary time, and I thought, well, that's great. What is ordinary time? And and I was thinking, well, you know, it's like when things are just normal, right? When things are just sort of, you know, just normal. They're ordinary. They're just like, you know, you get up and you, you know, you shower and you get dressed, you do the things you do every day. And, you know, maybe, you know, like for me, maybe I got to do the dishes or I'm doing laundry or, I mean, those things are ordinary, right? Or maybe I take a walk and, or maybe I'm going outside and doing something with the sheep and it's just kind of part of my routine. So I thought, are these rhythms of my life? You know, are these the ordinary things in my life? And um, I, I think that it's important to have seasons where that bring awareness to what we believe. Okay, and uh, they bring remembrance. So when we do Advent, we are leading up to one of the most joyous things in our belief system, the birth of our Savior. I mean, it's there's a reason it's such a big deal in our culture and for us as a church and all the things that lead into it when we talk about the love and the joy and the peace that that event holds for us. And, um, and then for Easter, there's nothing more relevant to us as believers as the death and resurrection. 
without that, without the death and resurrection, we're not here. There's no purpose in here. So these rhythms that we hold to, they're really important for us. They're very important. And so it's it's just kind of this whole thing about ordinary time uh, it really intrigued me. So I got on the computer this last week, and I started looking up ordinary time. And boy, was I wrong about what ordinary time is. <laughs> okay. Not totally wrong, but uh, a little bit wrong. So first of all, let me, um, let's put up the slide that I brought. I only have one slide today. Um, this is the Christian year, what they call the Christian year. This is a slide I just took off of Google. So you can kind of see where um, there's the different colors. And um, we celebrate Advent, and then there's a little time period for Christmas. We talked about Epiphany, about the revelations of, of Jesus being God in Epiphany. And then there's... Um, you see that that time after Epiphany is kind of brown there. And then we have Lent, and then we have Easter. Now, Easter here is actually a really long period of time till there's Pentecost, okay? And Pentecost is really what we believe is the start of, that you see in that little sliver of red, it's, it's the start of the Christian church, Okay, the Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples at Pentecost. But then there's this whole time after Pentecost. So this is what I found out about ordinary time. I found out that technically, according to Google, <laughs> so, and I, I did find information that was a little different according to what I read, but just to try to keep it as simple as possible, there's two times of ordinary time during the year. The one is after Epiphany. That runs about seven weeks. It's, um, it's from, so the feast, what they call the Feast of Epiphany. This year it was on January 6th, and it runs all the way to Ash Wednesday, and which is the beginning of the start of Holy Week and, uh, and what comes during Holy Week. But the second part begins the Monday after Pentecost Sunday. This year, it varies every year. It can vary up to a month exactly when it is. But this year, Pentecost Sunday will fall on May 28th, I believe, or May 29th, the Monday after May 28th and stuff. And it goes all the way up to Advent. And I thought, well, that's a long time to be having an ordinary time, right, to just have things just sort of go with the flow, whatever you do, right? Okay, first of all, ordinary time is not about the common. It's not about the regular stuff that happens, the run-of-the-mill, everyday stuff that, that I like to think of as my ordinary time. It actually, the word ordinary that they use here comes from ordinal, like in ordinal numbers, so there's cardinal numbers and there's ordinal numbers. Cardinal numbers, when, when that term is used, ask the question, how many? But ordinal time, ordinal numbers, ask what position are those numbers in? 
in ordinal time, this comes from actually the idea that there are so many Sundays pre-Avnet or after the Easter time. And so it's a counting of Sundays, and each Sunday has a meaning. I'm not going to go into all that, but each Sunday has a purpose in the traditional church, in the Catholic church, what what maybe is spoken. That's probably where the Catholic church gets its liturgy from, is by the ordinal time, the ordinary time, what they call the ordinary time, and that's where that word comes from. So in some ways... It doesn't have anything to do with what I think is doing the dishes or taking a walk or getting dressed or showered or the ordinary things of life. Uh, But I did find that there is a little bit of a relationship here. So the purpose of ordinary time is it is a time of growth and maturity, maturation a time in which the mystery of Christ is called to penetrate ever more deeply into our lives. It's the longest time of the year to commemorate with the faithful consider the fullness of Christ, the fullness of his teachings and of his miracles on earth. Now, that's a pretty exciting thing to me because we that's how we learn, that's how we grow is to see what Jesus did. Why did he do the things he did? What were the things he did? How did he speak? And um, those are the things that are emphasized during ordinary time. So there's a quote that Pope Francis had in 2017. He said, Today does not repeat itself. This is life. And I read that and I thought, "Mm -hmm. this is the ordinary today. Every day that we have is a time for us to grow, to be involved in ordinary time, a time for us to mature, a time to have extraordinary life out of ordinary life. Um, I think, you know, in the, because you can take the slide down, you don't have to leave it up there, but, but this idea of ordinary time, I think it's interesting that it falls over the summer months into the fall months when the summer months, you know, for a lot of people, including myself, is like, oh, maybe I can vacation, you know, maybe I can vacate a little bit. Maybe I can kind of like shut down and relax and slow down. And truthfully, those are things.
Okay. Whoa. Turn me down just a little bit. Okay. So let's see. Where was I? Let me look at my notes. Talking a little bit about uh, the Cadian types of people that we are and and what kind of life that we might live in an ordinary time. And um, um, I, I was going to say that that this idea that the the summertime comes, it's uh, it's it's a time where a lot of times it's pretty easy to do the vacate. It's pretty easy to kind of shut down and and you know just make things a lot slower. But I like to think that we could slow down throughout the entire year and spend time in growth and maturation, which is what ordinary time was meant to be, a time to grow, a time to mature. Um, it's a time to stress God as the eternal now. So he is here, he is now. I was thinking as the youth shared, which it's incredible. It's incredible that they have this opportunity to go to collide, to be with hundreds of youth together. And um, I know that when the staff goes to the Foursquare Conference in the fall, we feel some of that. To be in a room of a thousand people worshiping God together is an opportunity. And if you get opportunities to attend big events, they're wonderful what they can do. But the idea that the presence of God is not here, not now, uh, is is not where we want to go. God promises us that he is with us. Every day in the ordinary, he makes our life extraordinary. So I would not, I would, the, it's, it's a wonderful thing to see the big picture with a big group, but it doesn't deny the small group or the individual sitting alone with God in their living room, with the laundry stacking up, with the dishes stacking up, with whatever it is that you have on your plate. It doesn't, it doesn't deny that. So I just wanted to talk about four things briefly about some things you can do during ordinary time. And my hope is that we still technically have a month before ordinary time. So maybe you'll have a month to sort of think about it. What will happen between the day of Pentecost and Advent next year? What kinds of things might you do to grow, to mature, to be the person Jesus wants you to be? We all have room to grow. I, uh, I've been getting, I just have to tell this little story. I've been getting all this Medicare stuff because I turned 65 this year. And so I've been getting all this Medicare stuff in the, thank you, Tyler, um, uh, all this Medicare stuff. And I'm like, oh, I just can't believe it. Now, this is talk about ordinary, right? So you have to, you know, you turn 65, you, all of a sudden you're going to get a lots and lots of mail in the mail about apply for Medicare and this is how you do it and part A and part B and 
goes on and on and on. It's like not my jam. So I'm like, don't even want to look at the stuff yet. But thankfully, I have a husband who will help me through that and everything. But, um, you know, I have still room to grow. I have things that the Lord wants to do in me and through me. And that is true of every person sitting here. Hold on to what you know. I mean, if I could leave you with the one note, I would say hold on to what you know, what you believe. Search for who Jesus is, okay? And what, who Jesus is for you. And, and I'm not saying that he's different for every person, but he speaks to us in different ways. But there are some things that we can press into that help us to grow and to mature. So let me cover these fairly quickly. Um, four things. First one, deepen one's prayer life. Okay? Prayer is a posture of the heart. It can be done anywhere. It can be done through worship. It can be done uh, in silence. It can be done through words. It can be done petitioning for others. There's all sorts of ways that you can deepen your prayer life, but it is a time of giving him glory and honor in the position that he has. He is the one in charge. He's the one that healed KC so she could go to Clyde. And we need to recognize that. It's not about anybody having the special words to to say to make sure she gets better. It's because God had mercy on her and she was healed. Another suggestion to deepen your prayer life, use a journal. Uh, I know some people love to journal and other people hate it, but a journal can be helpful for you to track what Jesus is speaking to you, okay? So if you sit down and you take a moment to be with God, write down what you hear because it has meaning for you. Uh Pray through specific passages of Scripture, and they're specific to you, not to me. I'm not. I'm not saying that there's certain ones that you have to be that you have to pray through. Um, uh, a while ago, Heidi taught on Lectio Divina to be able to read Scripture and then read it again and hear what it says. And I'm not going to cover that, but um, reading. Uh, Praying through specific passages can be very helpful. Um, and make prayer your lifestyle. Make it unceasingly. First Thessalonians 5.17 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks always. There are so many resources out there to help us learn to stop and respond to God at any moment in our life. But it takes practice to have prayer uppermost in our minds, to stop and say, come, Lord Jesus, be here. Come, Lord Jesus, be in this moment with me. And when we do that, our ordinary life will become extraordinary. And then the last thing about deepening prayer, pray in the spirit. I don't know how, uh, you know, we're in a Pentecostal church. We believe in speaking in tongues, but I'm not going to assume that everybody speaks in tongues. But the word talks about that the groans and utterances sometimes express what we don't even have words to express. 
So uh, if you're praying in English or you're praying in an unknown tongue, pray in the Spirit. The second thing, read the scriptures. So uh, I decided, so there's many scriptures to choose from. And the Gospels, if you're not familiar with the Bible or you haven't done a lot of reading, I recommend the Gospels to start with. I decided I could spend this whole summer month all the way up into Advent studying one passage, and it's Jesus' greatest teaching. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as as yourself. I could spend all this time on that one thing because I'm not sure I know what it means to love God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind. And I know I haven't got loving my neighbor down. I know that I haven't got that down. So I could spend the whole time just doing that. Um, but just read. Just read. Um, third thing. Unite more deeply with the Lord in communion, okay? Union with God is a choice we make to follow God, to live for God. We make that choice every day. I want to be a believer. I want to follow God the best I can, and I believe in the sacrifice that his son Jesus made for me by giving up his life so that I could have eternal life. That's a choice that I've made. And I hope that you have. And if you haven't, please see me. But it also talks about, let me back up again. I just wanted to add, when I make that choice, Romans 8 tells me that I am not condemned because Jesus set us free from the law of sin and death. And nothing in all creation can separate me from the love of God as I choose to follow him. But communion has a lot to do about what goes on day to day in my walk with the Lord. My ability to feel his affection, my capacity of my heart to enjoy being a child of God. If I have unrepentant sin in my life, that's going to interfere with my communion with God. It's going to affect my ability to see his grace, to see his beauty, and to see his love for what it really is. And it will make it more difficult for me to walk in peace and joy and freedom. So unite more deeply with the Lord in communion. Keep our accounting with God short. And don't be resistant to confessing sin. He is faithful and and just to forgive you your sins as you confess them. And then the fourth point is set your heart on becoming a more holy and whole, whole, W-H-O-L-E, person. Make holiness your purpose. Don't resist the Holy Spirit as he speaks to you, and he will. Commit to being obedient as best you know how, as God talks to you. Pursue Jesus, not moralism. So what I mean by this is don't pursue 
well, it's the right thing to do or it's not the right thing to do. Pursue Jesus. Jesus was a man who was wrong in that time frame. He was right for all of the world, but he was the wrong kind of person. They all thought he was living wrong. He was doing the wrong thing. Even his disciples said, you know, you shouldn't do this. You should take up your sword. You should do this and different things. But Jesus knew the Father's heart. And if we pursue Jesus, what Jesus tells us, then we're pursuing him, not what any of our culture might say is the right thing to do. Because sometimes the right thing doesn't look like the right thing. And that can be difficult. And that's why it's so important to pursue Jesus. And then the last thing about this becoming more whole of a person is expect improvement, but don't expect perfection. Because we're not going to be perfect. And we're not. I'm not perfect. I so many times think about the things that I've done and the things I've said. And I could feel condemned if it wasn't for the love of God. Because I'm not perfect. And But I know God wants me to be better. So I can expect improvement. I'd like to leave you just with one note. Ordinary time is an interesting time, and it's, it's, you know, this idea that it's meant to be a time to grow, mature, is a wonderful thing. Let's make our lives this year be extraordinary in the ordinary. Let us be all that Jesus want, wants us to be. Let us be lovers of people, lovers of each other. Let us hold each other up. Let us encourage one another. Um, and let us love God with all that we know how. And and ask God, am I doing the best I can? Am I doing what you've told me to do, what you've called me to do? Let's have the worship team come on up. Thank you for letting me speak today.